This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to another episode of Double Tap. It is Tuesday, it's the 7th of February 2023, and today it's all about artificial intelligence in the form of search chatbots and makeup apps. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your host, Stephen Scott. Hello, how are you today? Thank you so much for joining me. Yes, you did hear me right. I said makeup apps. Yeah. I'm going to talk about makeup today on the show. I think that is a world first on Double Tab. I don't think we've ever even said those words in that order before. Uh, But we're going to talk about that. Uh, We're going to talk about Estee Lauder and their incredible new application, uh, which helps visually impaired people apply makeup. And we're going to get a demo today on the show. We're going to be joined by Sharon O'Dea, who is a regular listener to the show, and uh, she has been in touch to tell us that she enjoys using the app. She actually got in touch a couple of weeks back. You might remember when Sean was here, we were talking about it. And Sean's like, yeah, who cares? And, pff, you know, how's this, how's this going to work? Is it even going to be any use? Um, and, you know, I was going to do a demo for you, but I thought maybe we should get someone on who actually knows something about makeup. Not me. I mean, I know I do TV stuff, right? But I don't wear makeup on TV. That might shock you. But it's true. Um But not only that, yes, I mean, on the subject of artificial intelligence, that's where we were going to go today. We were just going to be focusing in on Estee Lauder and the wonderful work they've done with this new application, and we'll hear more about it from Sharon later. But we start off with this. Breaking news. Breaking news. I'm telling you, we are getting our money's worth out of that jingle this year. Already another breaking news story, and that is that Microsoft are due to hold a special event today And uh, this major news event, as it's being called, will apparently show off the work they've been doing with uh, what's called ChatGPT. Now, you might remember, of course, that uh, Microsoft put a lot of money into OpenAI. Um, I think they've taken a 49% stake in that company. And what that is essentially going to do is make Bing, its search engine, even smarter. Because if you've heard about this ChatGPT open source service, if you've tried it out yourself, it's, it's like a search engine. You ask a question and it answers your question. But instead of giving you 10 million results, it just gives you the answer. Just gives you the exact answer you're looking for. Or does it? That's another story, right? Because, of course, there's a lot of question marks around the data that it's pulling from. Where's the information coming from? You know, is it giving us correct information? Is it giving us unbiased information? There's so many parts to this story. And uh, we're going to try and get into all of it today with our guest who'll be joining us in just a second. But let me tell you about the event. It starts today at uh, 1pm. So just just after our first airing of this show on AMI-audio, we'll be covering all of it in depth on tomorrow's show. So we'll focus on Microsoft and their work uh, tomorrow. We're not hearing a lot. The company is not teasing a lot ahead of time. But the focus is likely to be on the work the company has done with chat GPT integration into Bing, which is its search engine, of course, the equivalent of Google, the equivalent of Yahoo search, all of that. Well, apparently the Microsoft CEO, Satya Nadella, will share some progress on a few exciting projects. So it's likely we're going to get information on some of the work that's being done, in particular, I'd imagine, to integrate this kind of technology into not just Bing, but also Office products. Because there's lots of talk about the way that they could build this into um, well, all kinds of products, quite frankly. Uh, but certainly uh, the the products like Office, for, as far as consumers are concerned, Office and Bing. But of course, it's going to go further than that because apparently uh, Microsoft is, is going to be working to actually run this whole thing. Microsoft's cloud services will be powering all OpenAI workloads And this is all part of this $10 billion deal that sees it become the exclusive cloud partner. Um, And of course, it's interesting because the event itself just comes minutes, literally, it came minutes after Google announced its own chat GPT rival called Bard. And we've kind of waited to hear about this. Um, All this news is coming so quickly. It is, it's just, everything's moving so quickly in this space. And it really, I mean, when you think about it, the public has only been exposed to this 
service, if you like, the OpenAI service, for a matter of months. And it really did take the tech world by storm. And, you know, I think the geeks obviously were jumping right in there and thinking, wow, this is amazing. And yes, it is. But I think for a lot of people, regular people, realizing they can do things like, for example, you know, write a very short piece of code or, you know, build a website. Lots of things you can do just by asking a question to a website. It is incredible. So we're going to talk more about that uh, and we're going to get into some of the the headline and also in particular learn about what Google might be hiding up its sleeve and what we're going to be learning about from Google in the coming weeks. And we'll talk more about that in a moment because we have with us today Robin Christofferson from AbilityNet, of course. He's also the director of Clear Talents and uh, that's the hat he's wearing today as he comes on and talks to us about uh, the interesting developments at uh, Google and Microsoft. But I want to start, Robin, if you don't mind, and welcome to the show, but I I just want to start by asking you how you use this, because you use this on a daily basis, right? You actually use ChatGPT every day. So obviously I messed about with it initially, just getting it to write stories and articles, and, you know, there are other flavours as well. So there's, there's... Chat GPT, which everyone's heard about, that's that kind of chatbot on steroids. So you just open up the web page, it gives you a box, you type something in there, and then hit enter, and it gives you an answer, and then you get another box below, and you can, you know, ask for something completely different, or you can ask it to tweak the thing that it's just produced um, for whatever reason. And then you've got Dali, which is spelt like Wally, which I think is on purpose. It's a <laughs> Wally, you know, the robot is W-A-L-L, like wall. My favourite, e. well, my second favourite Disney movie of all time. Okay, apart from the first 43 minutes. And <sighs> Dali is D-A-L-L hyphen E. And that's a play on, obviously, Wally, but also Dali, the, the surrealist uh, painter. So this is an art-creating one by the same guys. And then the third one is just called GPT-3. And that's a code-based one. And that's going to be really amazing for people who are coding. Our next door neighbor has already had to close his business because he developed websites for customers and they can do it themselves now wow. just by putting a, you know, one sentence brief into uh, into GPT-3. And then if it's like, oh, add an extra menu item for this or, you know, change the color scheme to whatever, they can just do it verbally, you know, well, by text, and then it'll just rejigger the code and, and they're good to go. Well, and that's, so, the, that's the other side of this, because, of course, we talk about what it can do. We also talk about it, or we maybe don't talk about what it can do to other people, which is take their livelihoods. There's going to be such a shake-up in, the, in many industries. I mean, the first... Um, articles that came out were kind of throwing their hands up in horror about the creative industries, about um, journalism, uh, you know, even writing novels and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. we've seen that art has won awards without people being aware that it was generated by um, Dali. Now, it was really weird because there have been lots of um, uproar as well, because there's a question mark over whether they are whether they own the images that they're scraping in the in- on the internet to teach the the models for, for yeah because example. it's going off to the internet to gather a lot it's using all this information that's out there to create what you're asking it to create so yeah there is a question mark over who actually owns all that who owns the end result of what you've asked to be created and if you scrape for example getty images um that is Creative Commons, so you can only use that in certain ways. You can't use it as the means to create a commercial product. And a lot of the images that Dali was producing had garbled watermarks from Getty Images because they are watermarked when they are, you know, just showing you them on the screen until you've actually registered, etc. So, you know, a bit like smoking gun there. But um, yeah, so for me, I've been using it originally for, for that kind of thing. But then um, I'm talking to you today, not with my AbilityNet hat on, but with my Clear Talents hat on, which is the other company that I uh, am a director of. And we have a UK-based diversity profiling solution. And we had to do loads of research to find out what is a reasonable adjustment in a load of different specific cases um, to do with the Equality Act and what the definitions are and you know if somebody comes along and they've got this disability or they've got that you know um 
all the different protected characteristics, guys, not just disability, but there are nine of them in all age, gender, sexual orientation, race, etc. So there was a heck of a lot of work that went into making sure that it provided the right reasonable adjustments. And then we had to get a law firm to sign them all off. Well, we wanted to do that for the states. And for the states, it's even harder because they don't just have one law. They have federal law and then they have state by state law. So I was Googling until my fingers were falling off. And the thing about a Google search is that you get, you know, 10,000, 10 million, 100 million search results. And they're all different articles and they're all saying slightly different thing. And you have to put in a lot of spade work to get to the bottom of it. With ChatGPT, you literally just ask it what you need to know. So, you know, what is um, the maternity leave in the US for an employee, uh, blah, blah, blah. And then it will just give you the the answer on a plate in text, hate to say it, but you can just copy and paste into the thing because it's so professionally done. Now, you need to follow that up because one of the things that people have identified is that ChatGPT, you know, is bring, gives you perfectly worded, you know, very confident sounding results that can actually be wrong so you've got to um do a bit of due diligence um and we will get some law firms to to ultimately check all of the the recommendations but that has saved me man months of work i mean there's lots of there's lots of issues here right because of course we don't know the sources that's another thing i I did read about at the weekend someone saying that you know one thing that, that chat gpt could really benefit from is being able to cite its own sources for information that might make it even more credible or at least allow you to check where the information's coming from because of course like you say when it comes to the kind of work you're doing you need to be very specific that it is information from a particular state or that indeed the united states themselves not coming from australia or the uk or canada Mm -hmm. you know the information is being taken from the right place that's another important aspect here but again they often say it's all in the wording and it's the wording of the question that will, will go and pull that information out one thing I've not tried is asking, so, you know, ask it a specific question, whatever it might be, make it really technical, make it really, um, you know, down in the weeds. And when it provides you the answer, then just follow up with another question, which says, what are your sources? I haven't tried that. Mm. Or, you know, give me a, give me the same as above, but with citations. Now that I know it can do. So that's, you know, academia have already, many universities have already banned chat gpt yeah and there are many articles out there about software that's trying to detect chat gpt created content a bit like there is software that all universities use for plagiarism they just basically look at someone's essay and compare it to any google searches they can find on the internet and if they've got any stuff that's exactly the same like copy and paste then you know the student has has not created it themselves but it's so much harder with this because it's it is creating original content. Well, here's here's one for you. This was a job interview someone had gone for. I read about this at the weekend. Someone had gone for a job interview. They were asked to do a piece of work and they didn't have time in the interview to do it. So they said, can I take it home and I'll send it to you? So they did. They took the information home and they used ChatGPT to get mm-hmm. the answer. And then they sent it in and the people who were leading the interview had you know, a sense that the information was almost too correct yeah. and too right and... Mm-hmm. Let's just check this. So they they ran it through ChatGPT, the same question, roughly the same question they imagined he might ask, and they got pretty much the same answer back. Um, But there's a moral question thereof. I mean, some people coming to the defence of that saying, well, you know, the guy's not being paid to do that work. He's being asked to do it uh, as part of an interview process. You know, in a sense, is is that actually smarter thinking? In the way he's done this, is it a case of maybe this is guys actually used his initiative as opposed to spending hours on doing something? Or this is, is it, really is it interesting. I mean, universities are much more leaning towards open book exams these days, which is saying you don't have to put every last fact in your brain. You can use your, your textbooks, but you do need to be able to comprehend, analyze, you know, summarize, um, make judgments around, you know, basically come back with cogent arguments um because you know is it right to test somebody about how much how many facts they can cram in their brain you know because we've all got the internet now we've all got our textbooks at hand etc um but yeah when it comes to my whole job is just 
pressing the enter key after I've asked ChatGPT <laughs> to do something, then it does kind of call into question whether somebody else could do that job you or know, something for you else. or to yeah. make the whole thing. Yeah, that's the <laughs> point. Yeah. That essentially we can be create. We can be. Th- th- this is the this is the moment, isn't it? This is the moment in time where we are seeing that that change from a science fiction world where you know computers will take over and they'll run the world for us. We're kind of starting to see how that would happen. It's not. Totally. We're not there yet. We're not anywhere near that. No, and I think I mean most people would say we're not at the stage of being, or that we should be overly concerned. But at the same time. I would urge a little bit of caution here. I think that we are at a stage where if you're able to, for example, you've just, you've just given a perfect example of this. Someone who runs a, a web a creation business, website creation business, has to close the doors because essentially the internet can do it for them in this way. And what about if we say, well, you know, uh, robots or um, software is less prone to being tired, to having an off day, to being impartial. Why not outsource, I don't know, the justice system? You know, put in all the facts and then say, is this person guilty or innocent? I mean, the huge challenge we've got here that we've already seen in loads of other um, learning models, machine learning models, is that it's all about the data that they've sucked in to base Mm. their, you know, to learn from. And there's loads of bias in there. So as long as you can guarantee that the data set and the learning heuristics are without bias, and I'm not sure how you'd do that, then you you know, that's those are dangerous times. And I'm thinking about Professor Hawking, you know, brilliant, brilliant guy. I think it was back in twenty sixteen, somewhere around then, that he gave that famous uh speech at Cambridge University, they were opening this centre for basically AI research to try and avoid Skynet happening. You know, it was that, they were that worried. And he basically said about AI that this is either the best thing that will ever happen to the world or the worst thing ever that will ever happen to the world. Um, So yeah, I see ChatGPT as being the beginning of something because it's so public. You know, there's been loads of other stuff behind there, but this is kind of like really hit the headlines, available for everyone to use. And when I say everyone, I mean bad actors as well. Yeah. So, you know, we've already had loads of stories about it being put to nefarious uses to try and, you know, uh, look at the code of any given organisation and bang on it until you can find the the flaws for hackers to take advantage of. So, yeah. Is this the beginning of an amazing new era of, uh, you know, advancement in mankind or is it kind of Skynet? Well, let's let's stay on the positive. Let's for today anyway at least because we we all we know is what we know so far and I think we're a long way off knowing the true answer to that although I think it'll be a bit of both to be perfectly honest. And what we know today though is Microsoft are showing off the fruits of their millions of dollars investment in OpenAI. Today they're hosting the event and it's interesting because that announcement of the event today came just minutes after Google announcing their new product called Bard which is based on an already existing project that they've been working on for some time. Yeah, so they have Lambda, language model for dialogue applications. So it's basically saying a chatbot um, that will help with uh, making search, in this case, more feel like natural dialogue, basically. And they've done loads of work around making this a really sophisticated sort of discussion or dialogue-based experience. So not just um, asking a a question to Google and then kind of plowing through results, getting some feedback, a bit like chatbot, uh, chat GPT, then being able to ask a follow up question. Mm. Um, Now, we haven't mentioned this, um, but open AI and chat GPT is open source, which is massive. That means that loads of people can take advantage of the APIs. They can, you know, a thousand flowers can bloom and people can really use, put this to loads of different, obviously, hopefully good uh, applications. Lambda isn't. Um, So maybe the development won't happen at such a pace. You know, you can only have such, so big a team working on it. Yeah. Um, But it is more secure. And that's something that they say is a pro of it compared to OpenAI's different offerings. So... 
you know, and because it's closed, it will know everything that Google already knows about you. So that's one of the things with ChatGPT. When you close the browser, you start at scratch again. Now, that's going to change with a paid for subscription, um, probably just for enterprise. I don't know. But with this, I'm pretty sure it'll know everything about you already from your previous, you know, Googling and stuff, which is kind of scary. But anyway, yeah. Um, so yeah, that potentially would be able to learn more, give you much more, you know, natural results and allow you to kind of just have this conversation to get to what you need. But it doesn't sound like it's going to be giving you long form, uh, you know, film scripts or uh, massive amounts of code or anything like the different uh, open AI offerings do. So it's kind of quite a different beast, but it will have many more languages supported, which... Um, they kind of need to have to be able to to cover all the places in the world that Google is, which is probably everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, pros well, and cons. I wonder though, do you think that the excitement in this will plateau? I mean, there's only so much knowledge it has. And at the moment, for example, with ChatGPT, the knowledge base goes as far as, what, 2021. I don't know what the sticking point is there. I don't know if there's a reason why they're holding it back at that. Or I read something recently that said that they've kicked it off again. To, they just kind of stopped it at 2021 for the original kind of rollout of the, you know, public beta. Um, so, yeah, I don't know whether that's true or not, but it was kind of a proof of concept, really, mm. um, to let people experience what what it can offer. But yeah, obviously, it would need to be up to date. There was a time, you know, only <laughs> a few months ago, it would seem this would just seem like science fiction. And to many people today, I imagine many of our listeners, it might still seem a little bit like science fiction. What's your take on that? Are we way beyond that now? Is is this becoming? Is this going to become a product that where we will actively see in use? Say, for example, inside our Amazon Echoes, you know, will mm -hmm. they start to get this kind of power and capability to, you know, we can talk to it and it can do so much more. Totally. It's a bit cold in here, you know, and it turns the heating on. You know, as natural language processing becomes even more powerful. Yep. I definitely think we're going to see some, I mean, I, I, we're already there with what it's doing at the moment. It definitely feels like sci-fi. Um, but then if you'd have, you know, 10 or 15 years ago said that we would just be able to talk to the air to get things done or to play whatever music or whatever films, if you've got an echo show, um, you know, or we would have computers on our wrists. I mean, I know they've been around since like the 60s and stuff in tomorrow's world, but they were like massive things that kind of never took off because it was before their time. So, yeah, I mean, I think cutting edge technology would always feel like sci-fi. Here, I think we're definitely looking at, I mean, look at She with Scarlett Johansson, you know, where he's basically got a little earbud in and her intelligence is just astronomical to the extent, oh, we probably shouldn't spoil it, but anyway. I've never, I've never seen it. Oh, man. I know. It's I one know. of my favourite. Ah, oh, that's one to watch. <laughs> She, it's so amazing. Now, that could almost be now with ChatGPT um, and, you know, in the ne next sort of next gen virtual assistant. Uh, because, yeah, Siri's not great. The A lady, much as I love her, doesn't always come up trumps. So um, I, I feel like we're on the edge of something. I think we're going to look back at the end of 2022 and think that's when it all kicked off. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. It's a very interesting time for sure. And uh, the development of this is going at such a pace. It really is. I mean, clearly the work has been going on for a long time. We have just been exposed to it in the last couple of months. And we're starting mm -hmm. to see the power of this thing. Um, and it's not just the nerds and the geeks, although granted it is for the most part at the moment. And I think most real people will, will sit back and go, right, okay, well, let me see how this impacts my day to day. But I think what will probably happen for most people is they'll start to realise their smart assistants are getting a lot smarter, and that's when it will really kick in. I think for a lot of people, this will be very gradual. Oh, totally. And with Microsoft, you know, we're going to see smarts in uh, programmes that we use every day, like Office, you know. Yeah. You're going to be able to say, write an article for me about such and such just within Word itself, you know, without having to kind of go out to the internet and copy and paste it back and stuff like that. So there's going to be massive potential for, I don't know, use really 
useful uses, but also misuse. So who knows? But well, yeah, and that's the next me, conversation. Not not for today, granted, but I think that, no. and, and when I mean today, I mean as in this year. Had. I think in the next year or two, and maybe sooner than that, I don't know. These things move so quickly, but I think that there is going to be a conversation around the ethics of all this, What, how this is used. And like we said earlier, around the sources it's pulling from and the data that's going into it, what biases are being observed. We've seen already some examples. Exactly. Yeah, I think the danger is when it's considered a definitive source for something and you know people kind of then use that as spreading a, a broader message that is... Yeah. Unhelpful. A whole new world of misinformation comes out, you know, and we, we need to clamp I'm down on that. Really interested to know whether um, Cortana is going to make another, it's going to be resurrected. <laughs> Clippy, because bring back Clippy. Come on, Clippy's where it's No, at. but this is, um, you know, if, if Microsoft are going to say make a massive leap, I feel like they may well have a, a smart assistant again. And will they bring back those Harman Kardon speakers? You know, will they get back into the smart speaker game? I don't know. But they certainly could if they had something that was a natural language alternative to what we've got with, you know, the text box uh, chat GPT interface at the moment. They totally could do it. Thank you for coming on, Robin. Uh, remind people where you get your podcasts. Yes, so we have the Dot to Dot podcast, which is a daily podcast all about a smart speaker, the A-Lady. And Sean and I do The Echo Show every week as well. Brilliant. Well, catch that wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we'll catch you back here soon, Robin. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you, Robin. And uh, stick around. We're going to be discussing more on artificial intelligence. The uh, conversation continues in a very real way because... Artificial intelligence, when you talk about it, you can often think about it as being something otherworldly. Like we just said, it can feel like science fiction. Well, it's not the case anymore. And a real example of that is coming up next. Follow Double Tap on social media at Double Tap On Air and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and email us feedback at doubletaponair.com. We'll be right back. This is Double Tap. Now, back to the show. Yeah, really interesting conversation today on the subject of artificial intelligence. Uh, we're hearing, of course, the news of Microsoft. That's the big news of the day. Microsoft will be showing off what will be next, as far as they are concerned, in this new world of artificial intelligence and how they'll integrate it into products. And we'll find out what those products are a bit later today. We'll bring you all the news on tomorrow's show. Of course, it's not the only one. Google, uh, minutes before the announcement, as I was saying earlier, launching their artificial intelligence-powered chatbot called Bard, which will rival chat GPT. Now, it, the company says that Bard will be used by a group of testers first before being rolled out to the public in the coming weeks. But we also know that on February 8th, so tomorrow, uh, we're going to see an event from Google. Now, whether that's changed or not, because I have to tell you, this is moving so quickly. Everything seems to be moving so fast in this space. It is incredible. And keeping up is a challenge, let me tell you. I remember starting this job and <laughs> we used to come on air sometimes and think, oh, it's been a bit of a quiet week this week. What will we talk about? And that was in a weekly show. And on a daily show, I can't keep up. Every single hour, there seems to be some new announcement or some new update. So I am assuming that this event will hold true. Uh, it's called Live from Paris. And it will be a streaming event that will be all about search maps and beyond. Interesting, search maps and beyond. And they'll be live streaming this on YouTube on February 8th. Uh, the description reads, We're imagining how people search for, explore and interact with information, making it more natural and intuitive than ever before to find what you need. And I think this is the crux of it. You know, you can really look into what Robin was talking about there with all the, the fancy talk around, you know, building a website or coding. Or I think for most people, we are going to experience it through these services like, you know, if I want to go somewhere, if I'm in a place, you know, if I go to a town, if I'm in Toronto, a city like Toronto, not a town, obviously. Uh, but if I go to a city like Toronto and I say, you know, I'd really like to explore this type of experience that it could just give me the answer. You would just get the information. And of course, at the moment, this is very much text-based. It's very much computer-based, even possibly telephone-based eventually when the apps roll out to smartphones. But this is going to be part of glasses. This is going to be part of 
audio experiences. Can you imagine how accessible this is all going to be? I mean, it's going to make information more accessible, but the information itself available in a more accessible way and on more accessible platforms. So, you know, I talk a lot about the Amazon Echo and the, the design. It's, it's, I think that's because, to me, that style of ambient computing just makes the most sense for this to naturally land on. You know, when Siri gets smarter, um, this will definitely be behind it. When Google, the Google Nest gets smarter, this will be behind it. So I think that's what's interesting about all of this. So the event is taking place on uh, the 8th, that's tomorrow. And, um, of course, this Lambda project um, is coming soon. There'll be lots of stuff coming out of that. It's going to be really interesting to learn about all this. Now, it is worth saying as well um, that uh, Google's CEO last month, Sundar Pichai, reportedly declared a code red over OpenAI's ChatGPT due to the potential threat to Google's search dominance. And as we've said, Microsoft is a huge investor in ChatGPT to $10 billion. So plans to integrate the AI into its Bing search engine provides, you know, obviously more understandable and human-like results, and that is terrifying people at Google. And that is why it seems they are very keen to move forward to promote their service. But I don't think we should be thinking this has just been cooked up in the last couple of days. This is very much something which has been in the works for many, many years. I think they've rushed forward some announcements because they want to get in there. They want This is the year. As I, I think I said this at the beginning of 2023, this is the year for AI to really kick in, really kick in. Um, now, this particular event as well might just be focused on search and maps, which is core products that are used by a lot of people. Um, but Google also hints at news about Lens, Google Lens, which is a fantastic application, shopping and translate. Anyway, uh, the whole thing's happening at 8.30 a.m. Eastern uh, on tomorrow. So we will be able to bring you, hopefully, most of the news from that on uh, tomorrow's show, possibly, or even on the next day's show. We shall see how we go in terms of time and also figuring out what on earth is going on with all of this, because it does feel like... I, I'm starting to get to that feeling, you know, I'm beginning to lose the understanding of how this is all going to work. And I feel the the, 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 the broad concepts I get, but I'm, I'm thinking, how will this actually make a difference to all of us? And I think this is going to be a really exciting time for technology this year. It really is. Now, one example of that, and this brings us back down to earth, I guess, a little bit, but it, it does use this technology. It does use this ability to, you know, use the latest in AI technology. Estee Lauder developed an app, which you might have heard about. We talked about it a couple of weeks back. Estee Lauder um, developed an app so that it could help people who are visually impaired to put on makeup. How cool is that? So they've developed the app, and what they've done is they've created a a way for blind people to get uh, makeup tutorials, uh, apply makeup, and then the app will check your makeup. Now, of course, many questions... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> come out of that. Do you trust an application to do that? Um, what do you think? I'll be really interested in your thoughts. But let's hear the thoughts of someone who's actually used the app. Sharon has been in touch with us uh, regularly on the show, and uh, she joins me now to talk about her experience of the app. Sharon, great to have you here on Double Tap. Lovely to be here, Stephen. So you've come on to talk all about the SD Loader app for makeup. Now, look, I would have done this demo, Sharon, but, you know, <laughs> I, I, if I'm honest, I kind of thought it'd be better if someone else did it. You know, I'm all about giving people a chance. And I thought on this occasion, I mean, I could have learned the app. I could have put my makeup on, on the show. But then I thought, actually, it might be more appropriate for someone else to do this. You know, people hear enough of me. Well, Stephen, I think you could be an eyeliner man myself. You never know. I think I need more than eyeliner. I think head <laughs> transplant would be better. Can, can the app no, do that? Very cute. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason I'm on the radio. I know I do. I know I do TV as well. I, I think that is a complete anomaly, and someone clearly made a mistake. Uh, oh, the bosses don't watch. I don't know which one it is. But um, anyway, let's talk about this app. So, how did you learn about this? Because it's it's kind of it kind of came out the blue, didn't it? It did. I mean. I haven't used Estee Lauder products since my 20s. And with all the problems with my site um, the last 15 years, I lost my confidence about ever putting eye makeup on. I haven't for years. And last year, starting to get my confidence back, um, 
I was started to research online. There's great YouTubers out there demonstrating, and I have noticed there has been real good feedback for visually impaired ladies and men if you want to do eye makeup and tutorials online. And then I just spotted this article saying Estee Lauder AI app, and I thought, oh, what's that about? My curiosity was poked, so I went onto the app store because I know in when I sent you the email, Sean expressed, what do they get out of it? And that's instantly my thing. Beauty mm. companies are here to make money. We know this. Yeah. So downloaded the app and I thought I'd try it out. And I have to say, I really was quite impressed to start with. I think, you know, if a lady wants to rebuild her confidence up, you can do it in privacy in your own home. You don't have to go to a beauty counter and feel you know, intimidated or too shy. Some beauty counters are very helpful and nice, but, you you know, some aren't. I, I think it's most probably, they most probably think, oh, why does someone visually impaired, why would they want to put on makeup? Well, you're still a woman. You still want to feel good about yourself. You know, just because you lose your sight, you still want to be able to do the same things you did before. It still surprises people, doesn't it, that, that mm. blind people put makeup on? <laughs> It does. I, I hear. I hear this a lot. I hear people, especially women, obviously talk about this with when it comes to makeup. I know. I know. I, I'm kid around, but I know guys do wear makeup. Right? It's a thing as well. It's not unique to women. But you know, let's be honest about it. The, the majority of people who put makeup on, I would say, are women, and yes. a lot of it is about, as you say, confidence. It's about them. It's not, they're not doing it for other people. They're doing it for themselves, for their own confidence and their own confidence build up, building. Um. And, and it's, it matters a lot. So when, when you lost your sight, did you just stop putting makeup on? Is that something you gave up on? Because you just thought, oh, I can't do it, so why bother? No. Um, when I first lost um, my sight, my sister and mother taught – I was a teenager then. My sister and my mother taught me how to do makeup. And then through the years, I would always do foundation, maybe a tiny bit of sparkly eyeshadow. But then when I had – problems again with my sight 15 years ago you do lose your confidence in putting eye makeup on and it's necessarily eye makeup on I've always used foundation or lip gloss but once I was um having surgery and treatments over the years you know you don't have the confidence to put eye makeup on or you worry if you do people will make comments on it and when you're having treatment with your eyes as you know yourself and your listeners will, you can't put really eye makeup on because if you've got drops going in or ointment, it's all going to get messy. So how does this app work then? How does this help you? I think it's about empowering ladies and giving them the confidence. You can put your makeup on beforehand and it will look at it for you and tell you what is wrong or right or, you know, it could be perfect first time. Or you can... Put your makeup on, go along and do it with the app. It's up to you. I usually put my makeup on beforehand and then have it check it. And if anything needs touching up, you know, it's, I think, you know, it's one of those that there's no pressure, you know, time pressure. You can say start again or you can pause it. So it's not, um, it's a bit fiddly to start with. I'll be honest with you, you know, when you're trying to, I'm not a selfie person, so it's just getting the camera angle right when it looks at your face. Otherwise, it can sort of repeat itself. I didn't get that. Would you like to try again? And you can get a bit frustrated. Yeah. But then it's just a case of, I think, you know, taking your time, don't feel pressured and you will get there. It's going to be trial and error, I do believe. You know, and that's what I found. Practice makes perfect. So you mentioned that the app helps you put the makeup on. You also said that you haven't used Estee Lauder products for a while. So how did you buy those products? Because you obviously got to go through the process of buying some products to apply. Yes. I mean, I haven't, um, I use different um, brands. And the good thing about this app, Stephen, they're not trying to sell your products on it. There's no adverts, you know, advertising their products saying, buy this, buy that. They did their research very well and they said, you know, they were quite shocked, the lack of, you know, support for visually impaired ladies in the beauty community and that a lot of companies haven't got on board on doing something like this. And I don't think 
I think their intentions are genuine because the founder said years ago, Estee Lauder, she understood women. And she said, it's not that a woman doesn't care. It's just she's lost her way or doesn't have the confidence. She loses her confidence. And I think this is what they really got, that you may lose your eyesight, but you're still a lady and you still want to feel good. And, you know, I do think their intentions have been very good and honest and I just think it's empowering you and enabling you it's all about enabling a person I think you see that, that's interesting because I was kind of thinking rather cynically perhaps that this was yes. you know a way to get <laughs> them to buy or you to buy Estee Lauder products yes. that's what I was thinking because that's when I when I thought okay so now you've got to go out and buy all these products you've never bought before no. now in saying that you will probably look more favourably on the brand as a result. That's the reality of it. But whether you buy the products or not, at least that's not that's not a deal breaker here. No, it's not. And I think it's nice there's choice out there. And it was funny. I went into Boots yesterday. My sister wanted to get some MAC uh, makeup. And the printing on it, you know, the numbers or you have to look up. She's fully sighted. She had to put on glasses. She said, how would someone visually impaired be able to read this makeup? I know we have great reading apps, as you know, out there. We can take into the shop now and put the camera up and it talk to us. But, you know, would I, I, I actually, I'd be interested in investigating estate products more. I mean, it would be interesting to see. I don't personally read Braille, but for some ladies who don't have any vision at all, have they got Braille on their products you know it's something that would be really interesting to research further yeah and there's been a lot of work done i know by the rnib mm. in the uk with companies like kellogg's and others to make uh navi lens codes uh, as a part of their packaging which is essentially i don't know if you know much about qr codes and, and these kind of things but essentially a navi lens code is just a little square that you uh you know when you download the navi lens app the phone can use that uh, code to open up all the information on your smartphone about the product. And it can actually include a lot more information than Braille certainly can, because, of course, you can only fit as much Braille on the packaging as is possible, you know, with the size of the box. And I imagine makeup boxes to be quite small, so you're not going to get a lot of text on there. No. Um, and then on top of that, you with something like a QR code, you might get a link that takes you to a website, and then there's questions over the website's accessibility, whereas NaviLens is good because... You get all the information in the app. You can get the information read to you. It's really cool, actually. That's something that would be that would be great to see a partnership like that develop because then you don't have to worry about Braille. I, as you well know, as I've said many times on the show, I, I'm a huge advocate for Braille, but not everyone reads it. So we have to, you know, work on that. You know, we've got to, we've got no, to find other and that's ways. That's a great point you've put because. I tried Braille years ago and I really just couldn't get to grips with it. You know, everyone just assumes when you're visually impaired, Braille, Braille. And I think, no, but not all of us can manage with Braille. No. I think it's because Braille exists in so many places. So people think, oh, well, that's just automatic. It's, it's a bit like, you know, I've had the chat about the guide dog thing. You know, if you're blind, you get a guide dog, a liquid level indicator. You know, you get downloaded the entire history of Louis Braille in your head and off you go and have a great blind life. Yes. That's not how it works in reality. Um, okay, so look, you've got the app there and you're very kindly going to demonstrate it for yes. us. I don't think we've ever had a makeup demonstration <laughs> on any of my shows. This is totally new to me. I am fascinated. I am excited and, and kind of terrified. Well, I'd say go with the flow this time, Stephen. It's okay. a new experience. You never know. Yeah, well, my wife's always telling me to try new things. So, okay, <laughs> here we go then. So this is you with the SD Lauder app. You've got it on your iPhone, yeah? Yes, I have. And just to say um, for your listeners, Stephen, this app only work does not work on an iPhone older than iPhone 8. Okay, that's good to know. Right, yes. iPhone 8 or below. All right. Welcome back. To begin checking your makeup, say start. Start. Great. Then let's get started. Should I check your foundation, eyeshadow or lipstick first? Eyeshadow. Perfect. Have you already applied your eyeshadow? Yes. Okay, I'm checking it now. Make sure your light is in front of you and your screen is a foot from your face. Please close your eyes for a few seconds so I can look at your lips. To avoid shadows, tip your head back slightly. It looks beautiful. Would you like to apply another layer of shadow and have me check that also? No. 
Would you like me to check anything else? Foundation. Great. Right now, I can give feedback on full coverage foundation. This is not a shade matching app, though that feature is coming soon. The way I work is I look at seven zones on your face for symmetry and uniformity of application. Your forehead, temple, under eye, upper cheek, lower cheek, jawline and chin. For a more even, flawless look, follow these steps. Start with a pea-sized amount of your foundation. Apply from the center of your face, working outward. Use a foundation brush. Sponge all your fingers to blend. Would you like to continue? Yes. Perfect. As a reminder, I suggest applying your foundation first. Before any other makeup like eyeshadow, lipstick or blush, having other makeup already applied will impact my assessment of your look. Have you already applied your foundation? Yes. Okay, I'm checking it now. Please make sure your light is in front of you and your screen is a foot from your face. You will hear a sound when the scan begins, and when the scan has finished. To avoid shadows, tip your head back slightly. Start by facing forward. Then slowly move your head 30 degrees to the left for 3 seconds. Then to the right for 3 seconds. Your foundation looks great. Would you like me to check anything else? Wow, that is incredible that it's able to do all that. I mean, you know, I know that's a pretty basic demo to some degree, and there's lots more you can do with it. Like, obviously, you know, you could do your lipstick as well, I believe, and, and other stuff. You can get it to check all that. That is is quite incredible, Sharon. Um, so overall, do you think this is a useful app? Is this something you would use every day? I have. It's helping me get my confidence up, starting to put highlighter on my eyes again and mascara. And I think, you know, because obviously I had quite a few um, busy days this week and it just helps to quickly put it on and ask it to check it to make sure you've got the confidence knowing you're going to go out looking nice and presentable. Yeah. And that gives you the confidence to face people because obviously, as you know yourself, being visually impaired, you do maybe feel a bit unconfident facing new people for the first time. So it's just, a, I think it's another way of giving us that bit of independence, you know. And they said this is the first stage of the app. What I'm going to be awfully interested in is, you know, you can go to a beauty counter, as we said, and they can say to you, well, this foundation matches your skin type. Now, Estee Lauder. I think the next stage they said will be it's going to match your foundation and say to you, well, that doesn't match your skin type or this one mm. does. Or So AI against a human person, that's what's going to really interest me about the next stage they bring out. Yeah, that is interesting. And I also want to ask you, it kept telling you you were beautiful and gorgeous and everything was perfect. <laughs> Has it ever not said that? No, all it says is... Um, I detect, um, like last week, first couple of times I've used it, it said I detect um, on the left-hand side under your eye, you know, would you like to put some more um, foundation on? It just picks up a little spot maybe you've missed, you know, so it's not that nice. Yeah, I, I wasn't suggesting it tells you you're ugly. <laughs> I wasn't well, meaning that. No, not at all, no. But, but I was wondering if it would pick up on anything wrong. Um, yes, that's interesting. It does. It, and it's said to me um, this morning, would you like to put some more eyeshadow on? And I said no. And then I was reading some reviews and they're very positive from these ladies. And one lady said, I missed the spot on my lipstick and it told me and I reapplied and then it told me it was fine. So I think it's helpful for ladies in that context. Really, really interesting. Sharon, Isn't thank you it? so much for coming on and telling us about it. It's brilliant. No it's great your show because we can all share information with each other and support each other. And all these apps that are coming out now, not all of them are going to be suitable, but I think you can always find one that can really benefit you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Sharon. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and telling us all about your experience of the app. That sounds so interesting. And if you've had an experience with this app... Tell me what you think. Has it been a good experience? Has someone said to you, well, you know what? You now look like Coco the Clown, so, you know, the app doesn't really work. <laughs> What's happened? Because I think for, you know, like Sharon says, you know, in all seriousness, you know, a, a lot of people lose confidence when they lose their vision. And 
this could be one way to get to get that confidence back. No one should need to wear makeup to feel confident, right? I, I'm a great believer in that. I don't think you should wear, you know, no one should have to wear makeup, but a lot of people like wearing it. That's the point. They like dressing up. They like wearing nice clothes. So why shouldn't we feel good? And if this app helps you to do that, then that's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Sean, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, like I say, feedback at doubletaponair.com. If you've tried the app, let us know. Tell us your experience, good or bad. Uh, call us on the listener line, one 803 4567 Just to mention as well, another story from Microsoft, actually, but not... Uh, Sadly, not as good news uh, from Microsoft. Uh, It's official. The Microsoft Authenticator app has gone from Apple Watch. That has just happened. You might remember we told you this at the tail end of last year, that uh, Authenticator was uh, ending support for the Apple Watch. Microsoft Authenticator, that is. It means that no longer will you be able to conveniently log in to connected accounts by just using the wearable. Uh, With the app's uh, update, the latest iOS update, It states that it will remove Microsoft Authenticator from Apple Watch. Uh, It also notes that you can still mirror any uh, Authenticator notification that you receive on your phone to your Apple Watch, but you can't do anything with it. It's a bit like the WhatsApp problem again. You know, you get the notification, but you can't do anything else. Uh, Apparently, it first appeared in 2018, according to the history of this uh, from the article on MacRumors.com. Uh, and it's proven useful for anyone who's been looking to streamline multi-factor authentication sign-ins. Of course, for a lot of people now, that is a great way to make sure your accounts are safe, having 2FA, two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication. Um, instead of having to open the Microsoft Authenticator app on your phone to verify your identity, you could just approve the login through a notification on your watch, which is brilliant. It should be said, though, whilst the app is going from the watch, the app, the Authenticator app itself is still available. You can still use the Microsoft Authenticator app on your iPhone or your Android phone, but you won't be able to use it on the Apple Watch. It's just the watch that it's dropping support for. So it's just important to know that. Uh, another app going, uh, following several others, and of course Microsoft also ending support for Soundscape. Uh, officially, it has now left the App Store. And uh, even though it will continue to run until June, if you have it on your phone, it will still continue to work until June. But at that point, after June, the support will end and uh, the app itself will no longer be supported. I don't know what will happen to the app. Will it just will it just stop working? Will it just come up with a notification? Will they roll an update out to delete it? I don't know how it will work. But um, yeah, so interesting times. Interesting backdrop, isn't it, considering what we've just talked about and all the development we've heard and then these apps that are just going by the wayside. But there's reasons for this. Maybe it wasn't being used. Maybe it wasn't being utilised. They have data on this. So who knows? But anyway, that's it for us today. Lots of conversation about AI today on the show and more tomorrow as we delve into the news from Microsoft and possibly even Google as this conversation continues on Double Tap. Thank you for listening today. I'll catch you tomorrow. Love Double Tap? Did you know we're on the TV too? Check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI-tv every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or binge on all episodes online at ami.ca forward slash Double Tap. We're also on YouTube. Search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.